0: New series tonight we 're calling it circles uh, Tonight is kind of an overview so as you, as we 're um, talking a little bit about this, um, this idea of, uh, of circles you're going to be like, well, what did that have to do with circles you 're going to have to come back next week and get some of the, some of the other parts but it 's something that i 've been thinking about for a long time uh, a couple of years actually been mulling this thought over my head been uh, thinking about where we are headed as a church and If you look at the front of our bulletin, I I don't know, how many of you know what the vision uh, and mission statement of our church is? Anybody, Anybody know? Oh, terrible! It's on the front of your bulletin. You've re- It's been there every single week for a long time. It's this idea that we are here. Why? Why do we get together every uh, Saturday and Sunday? What are we trying to do as uh, as Kingsway Church? It's this idea of we want to build a healthy, life giving church. We don't want a church that sucks. We don't want a church that's life sucking or boring or like oh, uh, you just want to you know scrape your eyeballs out every time you're there. We want to build a healthy, life giving church that unchurched people. Unchurched people in your life, your family, your friends who don't know Jesus yet, that they would they, that there would be a place that they would want to be a part of, not just a place, a people. Uh, and so that's part of this idea of we want to build a healthy life-giving church. And we've been we've been attempting to do that for, for a while. And then we started asking ourselves this question: how do you measure that? How do you measure if we're actually doing a good job? Are we building a healthy, life-giving church? Are are we doing that? We know how to measure things. If you're a baker, you know how to measure stuff, right? You got your, like, quarter of a teaspoon and, and uh, you know, whatever, cups and, and liters and everything else. You can measure, uh, and you know exactly, hey, this is what I need. You can measure it. Um, if, you, um, you know, if you've ever been to Dick and Liz's place and gone in the house, they have this board up on the wall that measures the heights of people, all the way from Uncle George all the way down to... Uh, Well, we won't pick on anyone. Um, But from the tallest on down, we have ways to measure um, um, height. But how do you measure healthy? How do you measure healthy? Maybe you go to the doctor and he measures, you know, he says, yeah, you're healthy. You're in the right spot. Uh, And and we think, you know, we hope that's healthy. Um, But how do you measure healthy in a church? Is it healthy if there's lots of people? Does that mean, hey, that must be a good church? Is it healthy because they have two services? Must be healthy. There's people there on Saturday night. It must be healthy because they have lots of money. We won't base it on that. But healthy, how do you measure healthy as a church? And you're like, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, we think it is because it's one of those things that we're like asking, like, how do you measure what's healthy? If it's about being big and getting bigger, then, uh, you know, then we'll just keep having free pizza and stuff and get bigger. But is that really healthy? Probably not if we're feeding you pizza. But, the, but this, this thing about being big and being healthy and kind of looking at that, sometimes um, sometimes we see things and we think, ah, it must be. But we feel like at the heart of what He wants for us, there's, there's more to it. Um, big doesn't necessarily mean healthy. I have a big tree in my backyard that is not healthy at all. Uh, the whole, the whole um, Bottom of the tree, the bark all the way around has been rotting off for the last couple of years, and there's this little strip left. I've heard that once all the bark is stripped all the way around, then the tree is going to die, and so we're just kind of like taking each and every summer as an extra gift, but this tree, it's huge, but it's not healthy. Uh, I have a crab apple tree that's getting eaten from the inside. There's a little hole that sawdust just keeps coming out of, like, nonstop. Something lives in. And so, I, you know, we don't want to be the crabby apple type church that's dying from the inside. We don't want to be a church that looks big on the, on, on the, on, and the amount of people that show up. We want to be healthy. We want to be something um, that he designed for the church to be. So every year we take some time to talk a little bit about what church really is and why we're doing what we're doing. I never want you to forget, have you ever done something so long that you forget why you're doing it? Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, oh yeah, like I've not really thought about why I go here on Saturday nights. It's just doors are open, that's kind of what I do. Have you ever done something so long you forget why you're doing it? I I don't know about you, but um, you know, you see kids sometimes that, that play church. When they're little kids and they, they uh, you know, they see pictures of it, you know, sometimes on Instagram. It's so cute, right? Because they, they get all the stuffies. And usually, if you live in a house with children, normally the way it works is there's a mess everywhere. But there's more mess up along the walls. There's a big circle of mess all the way around. And uh, then there's that sort of that space in the center, that four square feet out of a hundred that they play in. That's the only clear spot. And everything else is all the way around until they play church. Then they set everything up in rows, set all the stuffies up really neatly, and then they stand at the front and address the crowd, right? That's, that's uh, you never see church, you know, where they just sit down and be like, yeah, we're doing church and everything's everywhere. No, it's all set up in order and just kind of like tonight. Why? Because it's what we see, it's what we experience, we see rows, but I want to challenge you with a thought that uh, I heard Andy Stanley say uh, a couple of years ago that circles are much better than rows, We've done church so often in this idea of rows, but circles are way more powerful than rows. There's stuff that can happen in a circle that can't happen in a row. For instance, you all don't have the chance to ask questions tonight. You don't get to just spit it out and be like Oprah. Just pass the mic around and everybody has a turn. We do a little bit of that at the beginning, but you don't have the chance to say, "Hey, whoa, stop! What? What? What did it mean when it said that? You know what? we know a little bit about your life, but we don't know. We don't know the details. We don't know. You know everything that's going on." And those are things that can't happen, really, in rows. And we started thinking about this idea of circles um, being, being better than rows. And, and as we do church, how much of it is that, you know, it's just like kids. We're almost, we can get into that spot where we begin playing church. It's like, oh yeah, I come, I sit in a row, I listen, and I go home. And is that what Jesus gave his life for? I don't think so. See, Jesus, he came not to start a new religion, He didn't come, you know, and get on the planet and think, ah, you know what? Saturdays. You know, Saturdays was old school. Sundays is the new Sabbath, yo. Come on, follow me, and we're going to do church on Sundays. It's not what he did. He didn't come here and say, okay, yeah, you used to have those rules, but now I'm going to give you a whole bunch of other rules to follow. He started something. He came, and he wanted to restore relationship, and he did restore relationship between God and men. And he said something interesting to this group of followers who followed him around and uh, was the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He said to them, he says, guys, the reason I'm here is I'm going to build my church. And we think, okay, build church. And for those of you who've been here long enough, you know it has nothing to do with this building. He didn't say, I'm going to build a building. I'm not going to build a religious system. I'm going to build a church. And what is the Church. It's us. It's people. He says, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to build, and the, the word he uses is this Greek word uh, called ekklesia. It means gathering of people that have been called out. He's like, I'm going to build a group of people. I'm going to build people that have been called out. Uh, and, and that's what he's come to do. And then he commanded his followers to do the same thing. He commanded his followers after. He said, hey, I'm going to build my church, and now I'm leaving. You guys do it. He says, all authority has been given to me. He says in Matthew 28, one of the last things he says to them, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. If you're a follower of me, I want you to go and do the same thing. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and then this, teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, to the end of the age. I'm going to be there for you. And then he leaves. He promises, I'm going to stay there. And then he's gone. But he says, do this. go out into all the world. Make more disciples. What I've spent the time with you guys, showing you for three years, I want you to go out and do the same thing. And then he left. And he had told them, just wait. I'm going to give you some help. Just wait until it comes. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read about how it, it happened, where Um, The disciples, those same followers, uh, with a few more, about 10 times as many, there's 120 of them hanging out in an upper room, waiting, just praying, saying, God, you said you're going to send a promise, we don't know what it is, we'll just wait, hopefully we know what it is when it gets here, and we know now that that was Holy Spirit that came and and came on the inside of them, never to leave again, and for the first time, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and for the first time, the, the church, the gathering of believers was started. And and that went rapidly. They left that room that morning. It was like nine in the morning when uh, they they've had the 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 Holy Spirit come on the inside of them, so radically affected them. They went out out of the of the room, and people started gathering around because there was some miraculous stuff going on. And Peter all of a sudden sees a crowd. He realized, well, I guess we got the gift. Now's time. And so he begins to preach. What did Jesus say? He said he commanded them, teach them, tell them right away, preach the, the good news. And so. Peter comes up with a sermon, and it says he actually preached for a long time, and everybody fell asleep, but it doesn't say that. He preached for a long time, which I'm not going to do tonight, but he said, he said a few things. Basically, he said four points over and over and over again. He's like, Jesus was God. You killed him. And he says, but God raised him from the dead. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry. And then they're all like, what? Okay, and, and, and just so challenged by it. And it says that in verse um, 41, that people began to believe what Peter was saying. After he would spoken for a, for a long time, it says that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and they were added to the church that day. It's what Jesus had commanded them to do. Go out, preach those who believe, baptize them. It says about 3,000 people, 3,000 people in one day, all of a sudden decided to join the gathering, to join the followers. No building, no, you know, no day of the week that they're going to meet, nothing. But just this, just this realization that, you know, Jesus died, he was, he rose again and turning from sin to follow him. And it says that the, you know, the the church, it says they were added to the church. That's where it started. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the very next verse, it begins to tell and explain what this group of followers did. What did it look like when the church first started? What did they all do? And so it says this, it says in verse uh, 42, all, how many is that? Everybody, every single person who was a follower of Jesus, not the apostles, not the minister at the front, everyone, everyone in that group, men, women, children, that um, all of the believers, they devoted themselves which means they just continued to do. They, they, they uh, put themselves to, to the task in these things. And they said, um, it, they, they followed four things. They devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, to eating together, including the Lord's Supper, and, into, and to prayer. And then it says um, that as they had done this, it shares a few more verses, which we're going to look at in the next couple of, of weeks, that they did this everywhere. They did this in their homes. They 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 were at the temple when they were allowed to be there. They just spent time together doing these things, teaching and learning, in fellowship with one another, um, sharing and eating together, and in prayer with with one another. And then Paul, after the church had been there for a while, and Paul began planting churches all over the place. He planted a church in this in this in this city called Ephesus, and he wrote to them later, and he reminded them about this. This way that it started. And it's interesting because Paul wrote to them and reminded them how the church started. And then John wrote to them a whole bunch of years later and reminded them to go back to the way things were at the beginning. And it says, Paul, he wrote a letter to them and he reminded them what a healthy church looks like. Because our question at the beginning was, how do you measure what healthy looks like? How do you measure what a healthy church looks like? And he wrote this verse, Ephesians um, chapter 4. It wasn't chapters back then, but it was midway through a letter he wrote to them. He wrote about this. He says, you know, that we're all to be growing and to be maturing in Christ. He said there should be unity in this body, in this group, and everybody um, um, growing. And it says this. He, and he's talking about Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. So as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body's healthy. So the whole body's healthy. So the whole body's healthy. How do you figure out it's healthy? He said this. He says it fits together perfectly. Each part's doing its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and what? Growing and full of love. Those two verses where it talks in Acts chapter 2, 42, how it started and how Paul writes them and reminds them, there's a couple, three really simple words that are not used, but the ideas are there in both of those places that help you to figure out if you're, if if, a church is, if the church is healthy. And if the church is made up of people, then healthy, life-giving church is made up of healthy, life-giving people. And the three thoughts are these. So if you're taking some notes, jot them down, um, or you can catch up on them again uh, if you want to listen online. But here's one of them, connected. Connected. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Are you connected? Because as a whole, not, not as Kingsway, but as the church as a whole, maybe you're like, I don't go to this church. It doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the church. Are you connected somewhere? Are you connected to Him primarily? Is there a genuine day-to-day realizing, God, I'm open and wanting to listen to your voice? Is there that idea of prayer, that idea of just relationship with Him, talking to Him, listening to Him? Jesus told the disciples it was like a vine and branches. If you get disconnected from Him, you shrivel up and die pretty quick. You can't do anything on your own. It's just, just do, your, do um, your best to stay connected to Him. So are you connected? Are you connected to one another? Because they said, you know, those guys devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And we don't use the word fellowship very often. You know, I don't call you up and say, hey, you want to come over to my house for fellowship? We just don't do that. We uh, just say, hey, you want to hang out? Um, Come on over for dinner. But this word fellowship, it's like not, it's not like a word that we would use all that often. And it's unfortunately not a concept that we experience very often in our culture. And it's this idea of real close community, doing life together. And it actually uses the word intimacy and for G-rated audience intercourse as well. It's this idea of like that kind of not that kind, but really, really close connection where you know someone and you're known by others. And, and the crowd, when there was a crowd following Jesus, they weren't close enough to Jesus to ask him questions. They weren't close enough for him to see things in their life. The disciples, though, they sat around tables with him. And they were sitting around as they are sitting around together talking in a circle. They'd ask him questions and he would, he would answer their questions and he would, he would um, tell them things that, that no one else got to hear. Why? Because they happened to be in, a, in the circle and instead of just in the crowd. A lot of times when we do church and we think about church, we're kind of in the crowd and we're just listening to what's said. But he says, you know, the, the idea of not being part of the crowd, but being close, knowing people, being known by them. Are you connected? Who are the people that really know you? Because it's not important just to be connected to, you know, those group of high school friends that you had all your life growing up. Because they may have absolutely nothing to offer in your life, Who are you connected to? Are you connected to people who know the Lord? Are you connected to people who can see your blind spots? Are you connected to people who can see your blind spots? This week, I had the unfortunate experience of being close enough to someone who could see my blind spot, and uh, that's my mother-in-law, and I thought she wasn't going to be here tonight, but she is. Um, (laughs) The idea of someone being close enough, and you know they care about you, so when they say something that doesn't feel real nice, it's like... Um, and don't worry, I'll tell the story. Um, it, it makes her look awesome I and me look terrible. But the, uh, the uh, having somebody close enough to speak into your life and show you and say, Mark, I don't know if you know this about yourself, but this is kind of what's going on in your life. And uh, it realizes, oh, you know, I didn't know that. And people who don't know me well enough would never have said it. And people who didn't care about me enough would never have said it. So we were, uh, <laughs> there's two stories, actually, unfortunately. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were camping out at their place, and we were having steak. And so uh, I was I was the barbecue guy, and all of a sudden, you know, um, like she said earlier, kid, there, when there's food cooking, kids start showing up. Teenage kids. Kids that can eat three or four steaks. And as I'm barbecuing the steaks, I'm like, you know, Beth, I thought made sure there was just exactly the right amount. And so I barbecue and the steaks. And and all of a sudden, the teenagers start arriving. And my mother-in-law, who is just amazing for this, begins to say, hey, why don't you stay for supper? I'm like, what? This is supper, you know? And I'm like, no. No. No, 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 no! That can't, that can't, that can't happen. My head starts shaking when I get into these spots, and I'm like, she can see, and I'm just like, I'm like, uh, I, I don't think. Uh, and I was like, right away, totally pass a buck onto my wife. I don't think Beth prepared enough to feed the, that horde, right? Uh, I know they're related to you, but but they're just cousins, nephews of mine. They 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 live just across the road. Send them home. Yeah, it felt like Jesus. Send them away to feed themselves and find, And and so I'm like, I'm cooking steaks, and she's like, all of a sudden, just great generosity of her heart runs to gets out more food from her fridge and begins to put other stuff on the barbecue. And then as I'm counting, I'm looking, I'm realizing the kids. So we put out all the food on the thing and the kids start eating like little bites, right? Like one steak feeds like four and a half kids and and all of a sudden there's like eight or nine steaks left over and I'm looking at them I'm like, oh. And then this, I know, and then this week she told me the worst thing possible. Those steaks went to the cats in the barn. (laughs) And there was this part of me that was like, there's a part of me that just all of a sudden wakes up and realizes like, I'm selfish. I know, I have this blind spot, I don't like it, I'm just confessing. This is not where you're allowed to talk back, we're in rows, remember. Alright, so, <laughs> but, but there's this part where I realize like, oh. There's a part of me that I never saw, I didn't realize, and then it jumps out, and then this week we're making apple cider, and all of a sudden, you know, well, I'm working slaving away, pressing apple ciders by, like, by hand, and uh, all of a sudden, we're making this apple cider, and, and, and me and a couple of the other kids are working really hard, and we're bottling leaders, and all of a sudden, Beth comes over, she's like, yeah, I just invited Tracy, I told her to bring some jugs and take as much as she wants, and I'm like, what?! I've been working so hard on them. Look at my hands. They're blistered. You can't give the apple cider away. It's Tracy. Like, if, if you know Tracy, like the nicest person ever. And um, she's downstairs serving our kids all the time. She sent, the worst part was that, Beth reminds me, the next, like, that night. Yeah, you do know but Tracy just sent home, like, dinner for us last night, chicken pot pie, just, just out of the goodness of her heart, just gave it to us. I'm like, and I couldn't even give her 10 liters of apple cider. Sucks, Right? I don't know. Hopefully, you've had those experiences. I'm not just, like, talking to me, but but what is that? That's about getting close enough to people in your life that they can, for your good, see blind spots in your life that you don't know about. Some of you, you know, you need a circle. You're like, you need a group of people close enough that as you build trust with them, they're going to be able to tell you, listen, you don't have any friends because you talk too much, you know, or you, you have terrible breath, and you really, you know, you need to do something about that, and you will get a date. I know, and some of you are like cringing, like, who would say that? But you need people close in your life, and guess what? Those are just some of the areas of growth, but the idea of growing He designed it that we would be close. And in Canada, we just don't do that. We don't really get close. And though I've seen, and you're going to hear some testimonies and stories of people over the next few weeks who have become part of circles and over time have built trust in those circles and how it has absolutely changed their life and how the support, and it's this thing on the inside, we're designed to be connected. We'll talk more about that. But my question is, are you connected? Who are those people? Could you name them right now and say, these are the people in my life, we're on the spot. Second thought was, are you serving? Are you connected to a group? Uh, um, but are you serving? Um, you know, the Greek word when he, um, in this Ephesians verse, he talks, to the, to, he says, they're fit together um, perfectly, and it says, um, they're, and they're joined. He uses two separate words. He's like, he says, the, the idea is like this. Fit together is like, kind of like a puzzle, but it's almost, it's more so like putting all of the parts in one place. So it'd be like this, and if this was a youth event, you'd get this a little bit easier than this, but... Let's say we were all, let's just go back to our youth, you know. We're all teenagers here right now. And, and it's this group of all the teenagers are in the same room. And that's an idea of being kind of being um, brought together. This idea of being close to, to one another. We're in the same room. But then he says there's more than that. There's an idea of being like fit together where it's like, have you ever played sardines? Sardines is one of the best games ever when you're a teenager. It's terrible when you're an adult and you realize what might go on. But in sardines is this game where everybody, there's one person goes and hides and they're the sardine. It's the opposite of hide and seek. When you find the person, you hide with them where they are. And as more people find you, they hide there. So you could have all of these teenagers in one closet, just all jammed in there until the last person finds and then they lose. It's that same idea of everybody being so close in each other's space, so... Um, packed together, that it's more, it's almost like it's just one big blob of of, uh, of people as opposed to this thing of all individual pieces. And he's saying it's this idea of being fit together, and it uses the word like compacted, and it's, they're all brought together. They're in the same place, but it's more than that. They're brought together, so close together by which every joint supplies. And when it talks about the joint, he's talking about this idea of like the elbow, the spaces. It's that it's that place right when connection happens. It's like that moment right there. Right there where it's like two people and there's, a, there's something where they, where they interact and there's something that bigger that happens. It's like two ingredients. If, you, if you're baking and you use um, baking soda and vinegar, what happens? Something, right? Like something. And for those of you who are the youth, it, you're like, that's child's play. Let's talk about gasoline and a lighter, right? You mix those two things together, Boom, something happens. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, when you get connected with other people, when you begin to serve one another, something crazy happens. You know, it's like even um, people who struggle with depression and go to counseling, counselors will tell them, go volunteer somewhere. Why? Because. That, that even, even people who don't believe the Bible, once they tell them, go volunteer somewhere, something happens when you go and take you and serve someone else. It's this bigger thing. And it actually describes, in, in English, it does a terrible job of it. But in Greek, this was this idea that when one person begins to serve another, something bigger than both of them happens. And it uses this word that only talks about divine, divine power, divine stuff happening. And it's this idea of, you know, uh, being healthy. They're connected. But they're they're serving one another as well. So my question is, are you healthy? Are you connected? Do you have that group? Do you have a circle? Are you serving? And the last one was this. Are you growing? Are you growing? Are you really growing? Uh, They said in, in Acts that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, intentionally putting God's word into their lives, They would intentionally go and make sure that his word was being put into their lives. And I think that's one of the things that we've been so trying to challenge our um, as a church, as followers of Jesus, to know what he said for yourself. To just be putting his word into your life regularly, consistently. It's why we started Bible studies, and somebody's like, I can't do Bible studies, I don't know how to study the Bible. So we started a Bible study: how to study the Bible. Uh, teach me how to study the Bible. I'm so pumped by how many of you have signed up for these, for these studies. Why? Because you're intentionally putting the word into your heart. Some of you are doing it in other ways. Awesome. But if you haven't, you thought, huh, I don't know. The question is, if you're healthy, are you growing? They said, you know, this idea of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and then choosing to live out their lives and live out that love for one another, maturing, growing in him, growing Bigger, our our goal, I guess, this year is that we would grow bigger and grow better by growing smaller. That as people would find circles of of people to do life with, to to be connected to, to be serving with, to be growing with together, that the circle would be a better place than just part of a crowd. We're at that place where, you know, you don't get to know everyone when you come here on Saturday nights anymore, but you need to know someone. When you hear a prayer request and it's like, whoa, that was news to me and it happened a week ago, there better be a circle of people around who knew. So this year, as we look to continue to build a healthy, life-giving church, it's made up of healthy, life-giving people, people who have found their people. Have you found your people? People who have found their place? Have you found the spot to serve? People who have found their purpose? Have you found that opportunity to grow? Are you healthy? One of the things that they committed to, I'm just going to ask maybe if there's a couple of people who can hand out the emblems of uh, communion. They're at the back there. Probably need a few people. We can do two things at once. Um, but it just says that this group, they devoted themselves. Because they said we're followers of Jesus, we're going to commit to growing, to learning, to, to teaching. We're going to commit to fellowship, koinonia, knowing people and being known. Because we want to grow. Committed to breaking bread together, eating together. Do you know, for that, for some of you, that's signing up for the pizza party and just being in a place where we're like hanging out together. And they said this too this idea of um, the Lord's Supper as well, doing that together, and this idea of praying together. This idea of the Lord's Supper, Paul, Paul wrote to a gathering of believers in Corinth, which is another church in a similar area um, uh, of Ephesus. And he reminded them of something that Jesus had started with the disciples before them, the first followers uh, he had wrote to them. Thanks. And he, uh, Jesus, before he left, before he died, before he went through all of that, he was sitting down around a table. He was sitting in a circle with, the, with the, his closest friends, his closest disciples, and he was sitting with them, and he, he, uh, he started this this or he changed, I guess, the idea of this, what we're doing tonight. He wanted unity in the body. He began to tell them that day, he says, I want you to love one another. He wants them to care for one another. He wanted them to be healthy and to continue to grow uh, healthy. And so they're sitting down for dinner, and it was a pretty special kind of dinner. Um, for us, I don't know if you and your family, you've got like Christmas dinner tradition, that once a year, at Christmas, you get together, the whole family, and you know who's bringing what. Like in our family, we know that Tracy's bringing broccoli salad every year. We know that, uh, you know, Lindsay's going to bring lasagna, and she's going to eat all of Mel's potatoes. We know that's pretty much a common thing that happens every year. And Beth brings all the best desserts ever. So when we get together, we know it's going to be at Liz's house, and she's making the, the turkey, so or whatever birds they are that year. But we know that that's how it works every single year. And so you kind of get there, and you have this expectation of what it's going to be. It's exactly what was like for the disciples. They got together this one night sitting down together with Jesus and it was a specific kind of meal. They sat down, they knew um, that there was going to be a lamb that was sacrificed. They probably were a part of of making that happen. They knew that there was going to be some things that they thought about and things that they considered as they were sitting there eating this meal. They knew that the the lamb had died to uh, cover their sins and they were remembering what happened to their ancestors a long, long time ago. And then at the end of this dinner, all of a sudden Jesus changes the whole meaning of it. He's like, you know, if for us, it'd be like saying, this is no longer Christmas dinner. This is going to be, we're all getting together every December 25th, and it's going to be celebrate Mark Weer dinner, all right? So from now on, it's all about me. You know, thanks, Liz, for making the birds. Thanks for the broccoli salad. But now, from now on, just do this to remember me because of how awesome I am. We'd be like, that is just so weird and way out there. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said to them, listen, this used to, this used, I, I'm good, this used to mean something, but it means something different. He says, from here on in, I want you guys to do this, but I want you to remember me. I'm now the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I'm not just here to cover it. I'm going to take it away. And every time you do this, I want you to remember me. Remember what I've done and remember what I've done for you. Here we are, almost 2,000 years later, sitting around together as a group of believers, doing that exact thing, remembering what Jesus has done for us. Paul, when he's writing to this group in in Corinth, he wrote to them and he said something to them. He says, hey, when you guys get together... He says, you guys are doing more damage than good. You get together as a group, but you're hurting one another. You're, you're, you're caring more about yourself than others. You're missing out on connection. And in, in missing out on that, you're not serving one another. You're definitely not growing. Something's damaged. And he says, let me remind you what Jesus did. He's, he, he did this with those disciples. I want to remind you about that again. He wanted unity in his, in his followers. So he said, hey, um, I want... I want you guys to stop and think for a moment about what he's done for you. And he, he challenged those believers then to examine themselves and to, just to ask themselves that question am I, am I for my brothers? Am I for my family? Is there unity um, in my heart for others? Do I care about them or am I selfish? Is there those little bits in me that, that aren't, aren't racist? Examine yourself, take a look. And then he, you know, a lot of times that's been kind of misused where people like examine yourself. See if there's any sin in your life. And if there's sin, well, you can't take communion. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, look at your life and how am I living in response to this? How am I living in response to what this means? How am I living in response to what this paid for? Because it wasn't just to just wash away all our sins. It was, to, it was definitely to do that. But to take that and to build what he called the, uh, the, the ecclesia, what he calls the church, who we are today. How am I living in response to what Jesus did for me? Am I staying connected to him and to others? Am I serving others like he served me by laying down his life? Am I growing in love? Am I maturing in faith? He said, remember that. And then he says, and remember that the only reason you can do any of that is because of what Jesus did for you. That that night he took bread and he said to his followers, he said, this is my body. This is broken for you. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, his body was broken for for you, broken for me. And he said, you know, for as long as time goes on, until I return, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So tonight is what we're doing, remembering what he did for you, for me. Would you take a minute to just remember that and thank him for it? Jesus, thank you for taking every snap of the whip, every nail, every thorn, all of it, God. Thank you for carrying on when you could have just ended it. Thank you for seeing us. And thank you for never giving up. Thank you for what it means for us today in this place. Thank you for the power of that. It's incredible. It's incredible. Thank you. And he says after dinner, he took a cup. After he'd given thanks, he passed it around to them, and he said, this is the new covenant. (laughs) When you think about this, if you ever think about the sins that we've committed, if you ever think about all the things you've got wrong, and then just picture them all washed away, (laughs) that's what he did. It's incredible, incredible. I don't know about you, but I have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to this. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for every drop of blood that you shed for us. Thank you (laughs) that it was pure, that it fully paid Our penalty. Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you for a new and better covenant with you. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you. Tonight, we do this in remembrance of you. and gratitude for what you've done. Thank you for building a body, building a church. Thank you for that. In your name. It's one thing that... uh, I think each of us in our hearts can never get too far away from knowing what He did for us and living our lives out in response to that. What does that look like for you this week? What is your response to His love and His goodness and His grace in your life shown to you? Who do you need to show that to this week? Maybe it's your family members. Maybe it's somebody that you're at odds with right now. How does He want you to live that out? And my question again, as you're leaving this place, just to to have kind of in your, in, your, in your head that stop and think moment of, am I healthy? Am I healthy? Can the, the church be healthy if I'm not? Am I connected? Am I serving? Am I really growing? And take some steps to see that happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for each other. Thank you for not leaving us on our own. Holy Spirit, thanks for being inside of us, leading us into truth and guiding us. Thank you for putting us together in family. God, I pray that as we grow and as together and uh, with one another that this world around us, these towns around us, would see just how amazing you are and would see the hope and see the life that you offer. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.